Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello and welcome to Transparency with Diana B. Today's special guest is Daryl Kay. Hello, Diana. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much, Eric. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by wealthmanagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of wealthmanagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors, not practice management, personal development. Guests join me to talk about their own experiences dealing with a struggle. And really, a lot of these things are things that impact everyone, not just advisors. Um, my guest today is Daryl Kay, principal of Kay Investments, an independent registered investment advisor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Daryl is here today to talk about a cybersecurity breach he suffered in the summer of 2018 and the personal challenges that came with that. Daryl, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, Diana. Glad to be here. I think this is a really important story for advisors to hear, Daryl. A lot of RIAs don't take cybersecurity seriously. They don't know how to respond properly. And in your case, the incident you experienced really impacted your life in ways you didn't imagine. To start us off, I'm wondering, if, just tell us what happened. I mean, I know it all started when you got an email from one of your clients, right? That's right, Diana. I got an email from one of my clients, very similar to other emails I get from them commonly asking to move some money. They're a fairly affluent client, and it would be very common for them to move a six-figure sum of money. They, they own real estate, and I was quite comfortable with the request that I received. It was different in one respect, but not that different. They asked for the funds to go to a different bank than the main bank that we had on file. We've had this situation before with the clients. I wasn't totally surprised, but I did have my guard down. They asked for a sum of $100,000 to go to a new bank account. I didn't discuss this on the phone with them, partly because we're very much in the habit of dealing with withdrawal requests like that through email requests. So my next step with them was to say, fine, <clears throat> if you want to do this withdrawal to a new bank account, we'll set up a new bank account transfer connection using my custodian's electronic funds transfer form. So take a step or a half step backwards to talk about that. If you're my client and you want to connect your brokerage account to a bank, there's a form for doing that. You fill it out and sign it, provide it to the custodian, and they take about a week to confirm, that's my word, but to confirm, test out, and clear that banking relationship. So we should probably talk about that for just a moment. I've done that procedure many, many, many times over the years, and my understanding of it is 
that the custodian, the brokerage firm, by testing it out, confirms that it's a bona fide banking relationship with the client and that that confirmation entails some responsibility on their part. So I think it's important for listeners to understand that that was the first mistake that I made or the first serious misunderstanding that I had. I thought that the custodian, by checking and confirming that bank account connection, was taking some measure of responsibility. So I'll elaborate on that in, in a minute as to how that really turned out. So I sent the form off to the client using their email. So let's talk about that for a moment. The fraudster had stolen their identity and had taken over their email. Well, maybe I should say the fraudster was sharing their email, saw all their emails, responded to emails, and managed to protect himself or herself from being detected by the client. So I received a signed form back from the client, except it was from the fraudster. I looked it over. The signature, interestingly, was a really good a, a really good forgery of the client's signature. And, and, and in addition to that, the fraudster knew the social security number and other relevant information. So I had a form that looked authentic and included all the information called for, including the new bank account, of course. I submitted that form to my custodian About a week later, or maybe four or five business days later, received an email back from the custodian that the bank account was cleared and ready to use. So at that point, again, I'm I'm looking at myself uh, very critically here. I, I should have cleared this over the phone with the client, but as stated, everything looked common except for the new bank account. And even then, it's not the first instance with this client of us adopting a new bank. We've done that a few times over the years. So I authorized the wire for $100,000 to the new bank account, and everything seemed fine. And I didn't know that there was a problem until approximately a week later when, by coincidence, I happened to speak on the phone with the client on another topic and ask them about the $100,000 withdrawal, and they came back and told me they didn't know anything about it. So that was my first, my first time experiencing the emotion of, of realizing, by degrees, I'll say, that I was, I was part of and an, an instrumental part of a fraud. So I'll continue. Interrupt me with any questions you have. Did any, yeah, did any red flags come up for you during the process? I guess the bank account. But it sounds like everything that the hackers did were very authentic and, and believable. I mean, the signatures matched and... They had a lot of their personal information. So to you, it looked believable, right? It, it looked very believable. It looked not at all out of the ordinary. The sum of money they asked for 
was large, of course, being a six-figure amount, but it was not out of the ordinary for them. I believe that the hackers knew the size of the account and knew what would be a reasonable sum to off to to ask for. So I I I didn't see anything about this that was not authentic. My failure was two things so far up to this point. Number one, that I didn't, as a matter of procedure, discuss it over the phone with the client. That was one one mistake on my part. And the other mistake on my part was believing, and other advisors need to be aware of this as well, that the custodian, by proving out the bank connection, does not take responsibility, is not investigating that bank connection in the way you might think they are. In fact, I'm not even sure what it's all about. I, I, I think it's probably just a few days to set up some mechanism to accommodate a, a funds transfer request or wire. So investigating the fine print, I realized a little bit down, farther down the road that in the fine print, it states that I still take responsibility for the authenticity of any request made pursuant to that bank link. So, yeah. so nothing, no, just those two things. That's important for advisors to know because you'd think a large institution uh, like your custodian would take responsibility uh, for the validity of, of that over the, the course of the days that they were approving it, if they're doing due diligence and, you know, checking the authenticity of the documents. I, mean, that's, I guess that's what I thought that they would be doing, but we, that's unknown, right? Okay, you kind of think that, Diana, but the more you think about it, the more you realize that if there's a way that they can avoid responsibility by placing the the final responsibility on the advisor, that that's probably what they'll do. It's the safest thing. And maybe there's good reason for it. Maybe they, they assume that the advisor is closer to the situation and that's the advisor's responsibility. But however you see it, I, I was wrong and the responsibility fell to me. Mm -hmm. So the next step in the process was to advise the client of what was going on and then to advise my relationship manager at the custodian what had happened. Interestingly, his first response to that was to say that the client was safe, which is true, and that the transaction would be protected and that I shouldn't be overly concerned. He thought the situation would resolve. That tells me that he probably hadn't been through this situation before. In any case, I rested somewhat comfortably at that point. And then I uh, called my, my legal counsel, which is the firm market counsel. Mm -hmm. And I talked to, to one of the principals there, Dan Bernstein. He asked me to send him all of the paperwork that was relevant to the transaction. About an hour after the call to my relationship manager, he called me back and said, I spoke too soon. I need to let you know that you, the advisor, are responsible for this and that we consider it your responsibility to make the client whole. 
and this is where he started to get kind of tough. We'll give you one week, maybe an extra day, but let's say one week to make the client whole. If you don't do that, we'll be taking several actions, including breaking off your relationship with us. In other words, severing the custody relationship and cutting off all access that I had to the client accounts. I do have 91 relationships, including some 401k accounts, and all told, there are over 200 accounts. So uh, I gasped when I heard that. It would be unthinkable to be cut off from the client accounts, and and to have that happen in one week would, would be devastating. Right. So there's no way I could possibly entertain the idea of, of not taking an action and, and then finding myself cut off from the clients and, and scrambling around and talking to them and seeing if they'd want to move to another custodian. It was just unthinkable. What would be the impact on your business if you had to, if you had to do that, if you had to move custodians, cut, be cut off from your current custodian? Well, well there, there would be a cascade of, of, of awful outcomes. For one thing, I would be cut off from their accounts from a period of time. So even if a client decided to move to another custodian, there would be a dead period before those assets could move where I wouldn't be in control of the account where certain things might need my attention with the account and I, and I couldn't provide it. Where I'd, where I'd want to be implementing or affecting transactions and, and, and couldn't do so. Then there would also be clients who wouldn't move. All of the clients would, would be affected in one degree or another by the thought that I, that I had acted irresponsibly. So the impact on the business would be would be on multiple fronts. Uh, it would be financial, and it would also be there would also be a blow to my credibility in their eyes. I would assume, or their faith in me. I just decided I couldn't tolerate that. So naturally, I turned my attention to where I could find the hundred thousand dollars. Of course. My custodian was assuring me that any money they did recover would go against that that and 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 I would get it back. But I had the feeling that they wouldn't be making too much of an effort and and that it wouldn't result in a favorable outcome. So I heard back from market counsel, and Dan Bernstein told me about the fine print and the paperwork that established that it would be my responsibility. He also told me that the bank was not necessarily responsible. Banks, just because they open up a fraudulent account in, in someone's name doesn't mean that they have legal responsibility to reimburse any client for, for uh, for funds that came fraudulently from somewhere else into that fake account. So that was a little bit of a heads up that maybe the bank wouldn't have legal responsibility. Custodian already established that they didn't have responsibility. So it looked pretty grim as far as, as me getting this money back. Uh, I was starting to, to 
to get the feeling that the only way anything good would happen is if the custodian sort of took pity on me. I'm being a little funny, but I, I didn't see where there was going to be a force acting in my favor. But someone did step in and act on your favor. Uh, market counsel helped you, right? What happened? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I, I asked if, um, if I could talk to Brian Hamburger directly. He's the founder of market counsel. I've known him for pretty close to 20 years. And I asked to talk to him to, to see if he could maybe offer some perspective or some other ideas. He said that at the very least, he could put the brakes on this, slow it down, and he would talk to someone at a higher level at the custodian, maybe two or three levels above my relationship manager or my relationship manager's manager. In any case, pretty, pretty much higher up the ladder. So he said, give me some time. I'll establish a connection and I'll see if I can slow things down and, and I'll, I'll investigate some possible ways to deal with this. So I heard back from him later that day or the next day that the one week deadline was off and that uh, they were going to talk together about possible alternatives and, 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 and possible better ways to proceed better than just giving me an ultimatum, which was, which was where I was the day before. So yeah. that's, that's the end of, of the communication that I had for a while. I didn't hear anything from anyone. About a week went by, still never heard anything from anyone, no progress, nothing. About maybe 10 days, between 10 days and two weeks later, I got a call from my relationship manager that the $100,000 had been put back in the client's account. So it was... It Great was, news. It, it was almost surreal. I, I didn't expect it. I was thinking then the best of all scenarios, it would be a fraction of the hundred thousand. I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect, obviously, but it was the best of all outcomes. I'm so what going, happened? It was the bank stepped in, right? It, it, it's the bank that made the client whole. It certainly wasn't the custodian. The bank made a decision, and I never talked to the bank. I never heard from anyone there. I don't know why they did it. I will never know why they did it. But I'm surmising. Here's what I surmise. I surmise that at the highest level at the custodian, thanks to Brian Hamburger's intervention, that, that the custodian approached the bank and made some overtures about them being maybe not legally responsible, but maybe being morally responsible or or maybe that it was in their best interest to take some action to prevent their name from being dragged through something ugly the the the, the bank is a well-known bank i'm not going to mention their name they're they're pretty big in in the southeast uh anytime you travel through there you see them so i'm thinking that they bought into the idea that with a big name custodian, and my custodian is quite recognizable, 
that they may have thought that they would lose quite a bit of face. That's my best my best belief. Uh, Brian didn't know uh, what the explanation was, but the, the, the most believable explanation is that they weren't legally responsible, but they thought it would be in their best interest and worth more than the hundred dollars to them, uh, the hundred thousand dollars to them if they made the client whole. So that's that's what I think happened, and I'm very grateful for it. It certainly put an end to what what had been an incredibly stressful several weeks. During that two-week period or uh, however long it was before the client was made whole, what were you going through personally? I know you were also going through a divorce, right, at that time? I was also going through a divorce, so my life was already... The, the tuning fork on my emotions was already vibrating kind of high. So it was a d- difficult time. And, and in addition, so in addition to that, I was suffering the, the prospect of, of financial loss from this. So I, I, I had to fight back the urge to, to be pessimistic, even if it didn't look very favorable. I, I had to control my emotions. I had to fight to, uh, reduce stress. I know it sounds kind of contradictory to say you have to fight to reduce stress, so that maybe that's not the best way to put it. But I was, uh, it was very stressful, and it came at a stressful time in my life as well. And were you, you know, losing sleep, or what? What was the toll on you personally through that? Time? I, I was losing sleep, of course, and I found myself descending into different states of worry. I addressed it by trying my hardest to take a positive attitude and and to keep thinking about what the positive outcome would feel like, how I could maybe assume the most favorable outcome. I did a lot of uh, visuals, uh, visualizing this resolving favorably, uh, a favorable solution, manifesting how that might take place. So I, I started to occupy my thoughts with the most positive viewpoints and perspectives and expectations that I could. And interestingly, I, I, I think I got pretty good at it. I, every time my thought drifted to the situation, I would, I would push myself into a visual of a positive resolution it's a technique that's pretty well known among people who are somewhat more spiritual or 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 think in, in, in terms like that. So I can't say obviously how much of a role it played uh, in influencing the outcome. People who are highly spiritual will say possibly a lot, but at the very least, it helped me to cope with the the emotion of the situation. You're you're looking at a situation where you've been saving for retirement and a six-figure chunk of it may be wiped away. So I dealt with that by by the positive thinking that that I'm talking about here and also by thinking uh, thoughts of how I could turn this into a positive even if the worst happened. So my answer to you, Diana, is that I I looked for and I employed the best ways I could 
to be positive about the whole thing and to visualize a positive outcome. Yeah, well, you came out the other side. As you know, as an industry, we know that you're not alone in this. Um, in their examinations of state registered investment advisors in 41 U.S. jurisdictions, state examiners found deficiencies uh, relating to cybersecurity in more than a quarter of their examinations, which is up from 23% during the last series of exams in 2017, the top five cybersecurity-related deficiencies were no testing of cybersecurity vulnerability, lack of procedures regarding securing and limiting access to devices, lack of procedures related to internet connectivity, weak or infrequently changed passwords, and no or inadequate cybersecurity insurance. I know after this happened, you went out and purchased E&O and cyber insurance. And also, according to the the Investment Advisor Association survey, a recent survey, 39% of RA respondents have had a cybersecurity incident, and 34% don't have cyber insurance. So a lot of advisors have been in your spot, and a lot of them aren't as lucky as you in the end. So what have, I know you've talked to advisors out there. What have they said to you about this, about cybersecurity? Interestingly, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say a couple things on that, Diana. I, I was invited to the Market Council Compliance Conference last December, and they asked me to speak. Um, a little bit about what happened, and I told the story pretty much as I've told it here. I thought it was interesting that um, after I finished, uh, I, I was approached multiple times by advisors who told me that they had been through something almost the same. I was more people than I thought I would uh, would be in contact with uh, about it. I, I mean, more people came forward than I thought would. I was surprised a little bit about that. And then I was surprised also that of all the people that approached me, I'm the only one who came out of it unscathed. I have no explanation for that, obviously. And also, many of them were smaller than mine. Mine was a large fraud relative to people who have approached me. Mine was also the only one where I was unscathed on it. So I I will also say that everyone who approached me um, is now carrying the insurance. I'm going to say in retrospect that I learned a lot from this, and um, not, not even just the cyber and fraud insurance, the E&O coverage, but also the different procedures. I always speak to clients now about withdrawals. I use two-layer, two or is it called uh, two-factor identification on, on, on many of my internet websites. I'm overall more cautious. I'm definitely more protected now with the insurance and I have procedures that help me. So in retrospect, I'm looking at it as a, a very serious lesson inexpensively learned mm. in my case. Yeah, this is great. Do you have any other words of wisdom for advisors who might be going through something like this? You know, not simply from a professional standpoint, what they need to do for cybersecurity, but more from a personal side. I mean, how do, how do they get out of 
this. I mean, I know your clients, for for instance, stayed with you and you got through it uh, with them. Any other words of wisdom for advisors on how to get through something like this? The, the words of wisdom for advisors, the way I would think of it is if an advisor is currently suffering from from this having happened, that advisor probably doesn't need my advice except to the extent of psychologically and emotionally to stay positive about it and to look all the time for ways to turn this into a positive, no matter how negatively it turns out. So, so for those who are already in it, they probably don't need as much, as much advice, but for the advisor who thinks this cannot happen to me, or this is not that, that much of a risk, that's the person that I think needs to listen to this podcast and take stock of the situation. You are vulnerable and there's just no excuse for not taking preventive action that isn't that costly. Okay, the, the, the insurance, first of all, the insurance cost me less than I thought it would cost. Uh, Market Council helped me find a provider, and I pay, I think, $2,400 a year. It, it's, not, it's not cheap by some measures, but it's cheap by other measures, and I wouldn't be without it. But you can also take measures that don't cost anything, which is to change your procedures and probably even more than changing procedures to change your attitude. So that would be my best advice. That's great advice. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show and opening up on this issue. I know it was a tough time in your life, and I really appreciate you opening up. Thank you for having me. And yes, it was a tough time in my life, but fortunately, uh, it, it, it happened and was over in a couple of weeks. So I was lucky. And I think um, people have to assume that they may not be so lucky and, and need to take some action. Yeah, we're, we're glad it turned out okay on your end. If you have a struggle and wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. Great job. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. Uh, what an amazing story, Diana. Thank you so much for bringing them on. Thank you, and thank you for listening. All right, and to our audience, we do want to thank you for listening to the Transparency Podcast with Diana B. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Diana comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and coworkers. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at wealthmanagement.com, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.